Jesus. Lord, just thank you for all that you're doing, both in our individual lives and in our church life, Lord God. It's just an honor to be alive in this time. Lord, I just pray that you would anoint me to speak your truth in love to great people here. Lord God, that great fruit would come out of what we share today. Lord, that we would be a healthy bunch of people, inspirational bunch of people, that you would be glorified in everything we do. And all God's people said, amen. Turn to three people and say, this is going to be good. Those of you who have been around church life will be familiar that we are doing a series which I have called Celebrating You. You. Okay, and we don't talk about that kind of thing in church life very often because obviously we always want to point to Jesus. But the great thing is that Jesus has invested so much in you that he wants you to be epic and he wants you to know that you're epic. And so as we celebrate that, we're celebrating the thing that Jesus did anyway. So this is all good. I'm basing this, this um, series of, church, of, of messages on Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. They'll come on the screen. But it goes like this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you were in your mother's womb, there was the father molding you, making you. He was putting dreams inside of you. He was putting skills in you that would enable you to fulfill that dream. Because he thinks you're amazing. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, he says, you're his treasured possession. He looks at you and he thinks, wow, treasure you. There might be things in your life that you treasure, that you give uh, excellence to, that you put on the shelf and think, oh, that's amazing. Well, that's how God feels about you. The trouble is we live in a world which says something very different about you. You've only got to read a magazine, watch the television, listen to your family and friends talk about you, and that's not the message coming at you. And so we live life feeling like we're less than we really are. And I believe God wants the church to stand up and say, no, 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 I am his treasured possession. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not just words in a book, it's the truth. He says in Zechariah 2 and verse 8, he says, you're the apple of his eye. Do you know, when you've got, I don't know if you've got a loved one in your life, you know, someone you just, you're in love with. You look at them and they're the apple of your eye. Who knows that God doesn't just love you, but he's in love with you. He's like, wow, I crafted you in the womb. I put those talents in you. I'm committed to drawing those talents out of you. I want your life to represent me. And yet we live in this world that says, no, nah, you'll never amount to much. No, it's never going to work for you. It wants to push you down. And Jesus has always been about lifting you up. So we've gone through this series celebrating you because I want you to walk out every day thinking, yes, I've got something to offer because God put it in me. I'm part of something bigger than myself. And if I add my peace to it, amazing things can happen. But unless we really believe that, it doesn't happen. And so we're going on a journey to say, come on, let's be the person God created me to be. You don't have to meet some world stereotype. We're all different. You've only got to look around the room. No one looks the same. And that's brilliant. You don't have to fit a stereotype because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And I want to remind you that the joy set before Jesus, the thing that motivated him to get there, he knew what he was going to go through. Horrendous. A Roman flogging. Which, by the way, they went over the top on to the point where... They said, I didn't tell you to kill him. Crowns on his head, nails hanging there, dying a horrible, horrible death. He knew what he was going to, but he was motivated by joy to get there. Do you know what the joy is? The potential of a relationship with you one day. He was prepared to go to the cross to say, I know, I know, I know. That one Sunday in 2016, you're going to sit in the house and remember what I did for you. And my motivation was that I think you're amazing. And isn't it time, church, that we start thinking we're amazing? You know, sometimes there's a whole load of songs out there, Love Yourself, and Bieber did it, didn't he, the rest of it. But Bieber's doing great now, isn't he? Bieber's suddenly become cool. And do you know why I think he's become cool? He's back in church. He goes to Hillsong Church in New York. How epic that he was this weird lad living this life just so financially wealthy, so idolized. Who would handle that well in their teenage years? We can all put him down, but suddenly he's got back in church and he's cool again. Don't you think that is the father lifting him back up? There's a thing I put on our Facebook page, and I encourage you to go and look at it, where in the middle of one of his concerts in front of 20,000 kids, he started singing Christian songs, overtly Christian songs. And I'm like, go Bieber! You're epic. 
And I want you to leave. If, nothing, if you don't get anything else of what I say, if I waffle on and ruin this message, leave this building knowing you are amazing. Turn to the person next to you and say, come on, you're amazing. The Bible isn't just a bunch of good thoughts written down. The Bible is written by men and women inspired by God that he wanted us to build a blueprint for life on. And when you live your life according to his word, you are going to succeed. There's not another option. When you do life God's way, you win. Is there any agreement in the house? When we start living his way, you win. The trouble is, even strong Christians don't. And so my challenge to us as we're going through this message is to believe we are who he says we are and then to marry up our thinking and our lifestyles to how he says to live. And then when we know who we are and we live how he says, we will be epic. People in your life will be looking at you saying, I just want what you've got. What is it you've got? And you can tell them, I've got a relationship with the King of Kings. I know who I am in Christ. I don't think I'm above my station, but I'm happy with where I am. I'm not going to be pushed down to here. I'm living in my rightful place, and I'm doing it for my King Jesus. And everything I do ends up for my good, because he's promised that. I can work all things for the good of those who love me. So I will go through some stuff. Anyone here been through some stuff? All of us have been through some stuff. But he promises, when you do life his way, he will work even that for your good. And I love that. That's my father. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You see, when you read his word, and it says all kinds of stuff, there is not one topic that isn't covered in the word. When you say, this is what God says, I'm actually going to live life that way. I'm not going to challenge it. I'm not going to try and change it. I'm not going to try and alter it. I'm just going to say, that is what God says. I'm letting that light my path. And as you start walking that way, you will succeed. Because his word is a lamp to your feet. I love the way it talks about all kinds of things. Fasting. It's one of the things the Bible talks about. Anyone ever fasted? Probably most people here. You know, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Let's not get all religious about it. It's tough. I, I, like, I like a bit of food, me. You know? One of the, my favorite phrases is, I'm Hank Marvin. Starving. You know? And it's like, you come to the fast day, and I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a person. It's tough. But here's the thing. It's a spiritual process, isn't it? Where you deny the body to enhance the spirit. And when you go through that process, you feel closer to God. Here's the other great thing. God knows what he's up to. Do you know why? Because he made you. He knows how your body works. He knows how you tick. Who knows that fasting is actually good for your body? Detox is great. You you know, the health industry is massive now. So much information out there. And they are saying, it's good to have a fast day. Hello, 4,000 years ago, God is writing down, fast. How did he know that? Oh, yeah, he made us. So when you start saying, your word is a lamp to my feet, I'm going to do it your way, he knows what he's talking about. Because he made you that way. You look at money. You know, we look at tithing. There's all this wrestle about tithing in church. Should you tithe? Is it Old Testament? Is it New Testament? Do you know what? God wants to get you something. He doesn't need your money. But when you say, God, I'm going to honor you with my first because that's what your word says. Do you know what he says? Give and it will be given to you. Test me in this. Give me your first fruits and I'll open up the windows of heaven and you'll be blessed. He's always trying to get something to you. But we look at that and think, oh yeah, I'll honor you with my praise, I'll honor you with my prayer, but keep my money. When all along he just wants to bless you. But what it's doing is saying, I trust you God with all of myself, including my money. And it's for your good. And so every time you look at the word, it's a lamp to your feet. What does God say to do with money? Be generous. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller. And yet we still are stingy. And wonder why we're struggling in a small box in life. When God has said, I've given you the keys to break out of that box. Be generous. And as you're generous with your whole self, You'll burst out that box and your world's going to get bigger. Your influence is going to get bigger. Why? Because it says it in my word and it's a lamp to my feet. I crafted you and created you. I knew what I was doing in the beginning. You're the apple of my eye and I love you. I've shown you it because you were the joy that took me there. And now if you'll just live it my way, stop fighting it and just know that I'm the author of life. If you do it the author's way, you're going to win. And so somewhere in it all, church, we've got to stop fighting the truth and live by the truth. 
Even if we think, I don't get this, this is stupid, just trust him and just watch what will happen. Has anyone had a testimony where actually you've just trusted God despite your own what your head is saying and actually it's ended up good? Give me a wave if that's you. Look around the building. Most people, so, so good. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says this. I call heaven and earth of witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And I love this because there's not many gray areas in God's word. Choose life or choose death. It doesn't say anything about some weird middle ground. Choose life or choose death. Probably the only middle ground you'll find in the word is where he talks about being lukewarm. A middle ground. You're neither hot nor cold. You're not one thing or the other. And do you know what he says about that? I want to spit you out. You make me sick. How about, church, we start believing that's the truth and start saying, in every area of my life, I've got a choice. And I love the way God respects you as an intelligent, brilliant human being. He doesn't say, I'm going to force you to do this. He's going to say, I've presented you choices. I've given you my word. Now choose life or choose death. But you are choosing. Are you choosing life in your relationships? Are you choosing life in your parenting? Are you choosing life in your finances? Are you choosing life at work? Are you choosing life in your studies? Are you choosing life? Because if you're not choosing life, what are you choosing? And so we need to be people who say, God, your word is a lamp to my feet. and I choose to follow it. And that's going to lead me to life. Is there any agreement, church? Because I want you to succeed. Why? Because you're flipping epic. And God crafted you in the womb and says, I put brilliance inside of you. And I've actually shown you how to live it. And if someone like me won't get up and go, come on, who's going to? And maybe you might have something stirring in you right now saying, yeah, I do want to live it. Come on, I'm going to choose life. When I leave this building today, I'm going to choose life. I know what I need to choose, and I'm going to choose it. And as you do that, you become attractive. And people say, there's something about you, and I like it. Good. Do you know what? To introduce people to Jesus, you don't necessarily need to carry your Bible around and smash them around the head. Do you believe? You can do that. Some people are brilliant at that. Gifted evangelists. But you know what? When you live a life of transparency based on good choices, based on the word, you are declaring heaven on earth just by doing that. And people look at it and go, yes, in these troubled worlds we live in, you've got peace. You've got hope. You've got ambition. You're going somewhere. It seems to work out for you. Even in difficult times, you seem to come up smelling of roses. Not surprisingly, because I was his joy. I was crafted, and I agree with it. Amen? Awesome. I want to look at health today. My title ultimately is Be Healthy. Could we choose life in our health world? And all of us have that. The health industry is a multi-billion pound industry around the world now. There's so many different magazines out there talking about health and fitness and diet and exercise. It's massive. And 20 years ago, I was a personal trainer. I got my degree in health and fitness. And, and I loved going on that journey with people where they'd come to you and they'd either be heavier than they wanted to be or lighter than they wanted to be. They'd want to tone up. They'd want to get fitter. They'd want to look at their diet. They'd, they'd come to me with a, a plan, a goal. And I would go on the journey with them of setting out a plan and helping them and I loved it that every six weeks you'd do your measurements or you'd do some assessment to see how far they've come and they loved it has anyone been on a journey like that where you've achieved something you're like yes I'm really chuffed with myself well I love being part of that uh, I know Sarah was involved in weddings she did wedding day makeup and she sung at weddings and stuff great day to be involved because at the end of it you look back and go oh, I really helped their day and it's brilliant got paid for it too even better but in the personal training world, you're helping people go on a journey. It's amazing how people's lives are transformed when they're happy about how they see themselves. It is influential. I, I, we, we will go through some of the stuff that the Word says about this, but the truth is that we want to be happy with how we look, don't we? We can't pretend otherwise. We just do. But the great thing is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has put greatness on the inside of you, and he's made you perfect. Our key is to be the healthiest version of ourselves and not aim for some unrealistic goal, which is probably doctored somewhere in, in, in the media anyway. But it's great to go on this journey, and, and I loved it. I, I saw some great things, people uh, achieving their goals, you know, women coming in and losing the inches they wanted to lose, and men often getting the muscle they wanted to get, and all those kind of stuff. I loved all of that. I also saw some hilarious stuff. 
Uh, does anyone remember back in the old school days, we're talking 20 years ago now, Gladiators, the programme on telly. Anyone watch Gladiators? You must have seen it. Auga, you know, old John Fashion who leading it. Well, my friend was on Gladiators. He actually got to the semi-final and lost in the semi-final. Justin Beecher's name was. He was brilliant, just in case he listens to this podcast. I mentioned him. And, um, and he used to train at the gym that I was at, and he was, he was a strong lad, and uh, he was training, and he was doing his running on the treadmill. Now, who knows that in most gyms, that the treadmill is facing the mirrors, so you can see yourself running, yeah? And he was going quite quick. The trouble is with the mirror, if you look at an angle, you can see what's coming in behind you. And this quite attractive girl came in, and he's running, and he was wearing the worst leotard thing you've ever seen. Not quite a mankini, but you know when it's like a shorts, but the strap's over, and I'm like, what are you wearing, you idiot? <laughs> but he's running away, and he was a fit lad, don't get me wrong, and he was running away, and he's obviously clocked this girl, and as he's clocked this girl, he's taken a sideways step and stood on the bit that isn't spinning round. Do you know? So he's on this, he's, he's, he's running on the machine, he's on the, he's on the bit that spins round, and he sees this girl, and he's, he's obviously just taking a wobble. He steps over there, so when he goes to run, he actually does go forward. <laughs> Smashes his face on the mirror, lands on the bit that's spinning, and shoots off the back. <laughs> it was the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was laying there, and the thing spinning round, it was going over his chin. I went, it's a hell of a shave you're having there, Justin. <laughs> was, oh, I saw some great stuff. I, I love the job, it's brilliant, but I really enjoyed mainly... Well, obviously laughing at Justin, but mainly just seeing people achieve goals. And I think that's a good thing. And I think maybe the reality is when people look at us, shouldn't Christians be the healthiest people on the planet? Because we are following the maker's instructions. Possibly we're not. But shouldn't that be a goal for us to say, actually, God's created me. God's given me an instruction manual for life. If I follow that, I'm going to end up healthy. And that will do me good, and it will represent heaven better. And so I want to look mainly at eating, but I want to look at some of the stuff regarding your health. Because I think when your friends and family look at you, they're not so much interested in how much you pray, what you think about religion, what you think about sexuality. They're interested in what does your marriage look like? What do your financial world look like? What do your children grow up to look like? What is your health looking like? You are declaring something. They're not asking the questions, but they're watching. And I wonder if we couldn't just look at what the Word says, apply it, and become healthier because someone is watching you. And you might declare heaven without even trying to. I think the truth is that in today's society, we're the most out-of-conditioned and lazy people the world's ever seen. Everything is instant. Microwaves, fast food iPhones, TV remote controls, we don't get up and do anything, we're too busy to, to cook good food, we just get on with life and suddenly this society has just become really out of condition, often overweight and just not healthy. And yet I wonder as part of our declaration of heaven on earth that we should honour our bodies and start saying, God, I want to do it your way. Do you see where I'm heading? This isn't about size, this is about health. Because all of us are different sizes. Some people, I'm a relatively slight man, but some people are bigger than me. And that's good. It's cool to be a bigger guy, a smaller guy, a bigger lady, a smaller lady. All of that's good. But are you healthy for your frame? Can we make that a goal? So that you're honouring God with your life. So many people I know have gym memberships. And they're so proud they've got a gym membership, but they've never set foot in the gym. Oh, I pray for £20 a month. Really good deal. It's really good deal. How many times have you been this year? Oh, I went once. Checked it out. The machine I stood by most was the slack one. <laughs> Mars Bartastic. <laughs> We're living in a society now where our National Health Service is completely overrun. You know, I know there's political issues surrounding funding and where the money goes and all of the rest of it, but I wonder if part of the reason so many people are struggling in their health and with sickness and disease is because they're not choosing life. And maybe we need to be healthy before we get sick and something could shift in our experience of life. I wrestle with this, if I'm honest, because it feels like not a very spiritual message. But the truth is we are three-part people, aren't we? Body, spirit, and soul. And all three affect each other. And so we can go super spiritual, and yet let's be super spiritual. But if you're so super spiritual that your body's not keeping up with you, then it's going to pull you back down. Uh, many of you will know that my dad had a really bad back for three or four months last year. Was it at least that? A, a long time. To the point where he was almost housebound. 
certainly couldn't come to church very often. And I almost feel like in reflection that God was saying something prophetically through him as one of the elders of our church. And when your body isn't healthy, your spirit can't function at the right level. You know, when your body is shut down, your spirit man is affected by that. And it was an extreme thing for dad to go through. And great, he's back and we love having him there. Round of applause for dad. But it was difficult. And to a lesser degree, if our bodies aren't healthy, then our spirit person is going to be diminished because they're all linked. And so we don't think that talking about our bodily health is less spiritual than talking about our spiritual health because they're all connected. And we need to be healthy in every area of our life because that's the way God made it. How can you run your race well if you're tired, if you don't like the way you look, if you're unfit, if you're unhealthy? How can you run your race well if that is your current set of circumstances? And I want to suggest to you that it's actually in your own hands because you get to choose life or you get to choose death. So in your health world, what are you choosing? And you are choosing one of them. Let's have a look at this. I'm going to read from the message version, 1 Corinthians 6. It's verses 13 through 20 in the message. Do you know the old saying, first you eat to live, and then you live to eat? Challenging. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body, speaking of Jesus, by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You shouldn't make the master, take the master's body off to a whorehouse, should you? Or, should, or I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't, however, um, you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. See, the body is as much spiritual as everything else. Interestingly, through that passage, it talks about two main things. It talks about food and it talks about sex. I think if you added money into that, they would be the three things that we think about the most. I know we're, we're obviously all too holy to ever talk about sex. We think about it a lot. Everyone in this room does. And we think about food a lot. Probably for the men in the room, if you're not thinking about sex, you're probably thinking about food. <laughs> but the reality is, the master's given us a blueprint. And he wants you to be healthy in your body because it is going to affect your spiritual man. And he bought the whole lot. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So therefore, what you put into your body, where you place your body, what you do with your body, is spiritual. And we need to be people who say, I'm going to honor God with all of myself. And I'm going to choose life. Because if you're not choosing life, what are you choosing? Because there isn't much of a middle ground right there. He created all of you. So I wonder today, are we prepared to say, Holy Spirit, prompt me. Prompt me. Where do you need me to shift something? Where do you need me to make a different decision? Where do you need me to think about something that I'm doing so I could correct it and get it back on your blueprint? Because it will cause you to be better off. It will cause you to head in the right direction. And actually, spiritually, it will cause you to be in a better place. Amen? Amen? There are very obvious things that we know. For instance, if you take in more calories than you, you use, you're going to put weight on. Hello? The dictionary definition of gluttony is this. Eating to excess, taking on more calories than you need. Dictionary de definition of gluttony. And the word has a lot to say about it. I, I found that really interesting, that first line there. Moving from eating to live, eating what I need to get by, into living to eat. Wake up, and the first thing I think about is food. Get home, the first thing I think about is food. When I'm a little bit peckish, I think about food. You start living to eat instead of eating to live. And it's shifted, and I, I would imagine lots of people in this room fall into that category, actually. Uh, Ezekiel 16, 49 says this. 
Now, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. Anyone familiar with Sodom? Sodom and Gomorrah is arguably the worst, was the worst towns in the world, on the planet at that time. They were known for horrendous things. But this is what the word says about it. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. You see, we look at the, the sexual stuff that went on there, and it was fairly horrendous, mums and sons sleeping together, and awful things happening there. But the thing the Bible homes in on is that they were arrogant, proud, full of themselves, thinking that they know best, and then overfed. The sin of Sodom was gluttony. They were taking on more calories than they need. And who of us would like to be associated with Sodom? None of us. And yet, are we overfed? Are we living a lifestyle that is exactly the same as they did? And I find that challenging. Proverbs 23, verse 20 and 21 says this. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. How many of us are eating so much stuff that we're actually tired? Get drowsy. We're so stuffed. We're like, I'll have a little afternoon nap. <laughs> and after my afternoon nap, I might have a late afternoon nap. And after that, I might be a little bit tired. Might have an early night after I've had a snack. <laughs> but this, this is the life we live in. And I just wonder whether God is saying, come on, church, choose life. Because that lifestyle is making you tired and ineffective. That lifestyle isn't what I've called you to. Could we start thinking a bit differently? There is much information out there on this kind of stuff. And for some people, it's more of a wrestle than others. But could we challenge each other, cheer each other on? Why? Because as we get healthy in our bodies, it's going to impact how spiritual we're going to be. Because they're all linked together. I want to see you succeed. I love this. When um, God is speaking to Moses in Exodus 15, verse 26, he says this. If you diligently hear the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his command and keep all his statutes, if you do it my way, that's what that's saying there. If you read what I say in my word, my words are lamp unto your feet, it's for your well-being. If you do what I'm going to say, I will put none of the disease on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You see, here's the thing. The Egyptians representing the world here. And, and I've done some study around this. And recently, in the past five years, they've done some autopsies on mummies. I don't know if you've seen any of it. On, you can find it online if you, if you choose. And they found this. A bit minging, isn't it, by the way? They, 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 I couldn't do that. I've got, I've got a stomach for all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, they cut open these, these very, very old bodies. And what they found is that the arteries were really thick. And what they're... At, Realising out of that is that their intake of food was so fatty that their arteries got clogged up, and that was one of the reasons they died. And so they were saying here, do it my way, God says, and I won't put on you what's happening to the Egyptians. See, the Egyptians were really well fed, were really wealthy, and had great medicine on offer. They were, they were in their era, they were right up there, yet they were dying of poor health. On the flip side... The Israelite people had less knowledge, less wealth, but greater health. Why? Because they did it God's way. And I wonder, church, whether it's not about how much money we've got, how much knowledge we've got, but actually we just need to choose to say, God, I'm going to live my life your way. And it will cause you to be healthy. I wonder even if our definition of healing has got boxed in. It ends there, for I am the Lord who heals you. See, that is on the back of saying, if you eat right, you won't get sick. Because I'm the Lord who heals you. And I wonder, church, if, yes, we should pray for healing. Anyone ever had a, a miraculous healing or seen one or experienced one or prayed for one? Lots of people here. God still does it. In 1 Corinthians 12, you find a list of power gifts. One of them is the gift of healing. I believe that. I want to see more of that. We're going to see it in this church. We've got a prophecy over our church to see that, and I want that. But is our healing and our understanding of healing reactive? That we see a sickness, we react to the sickness, and so we pray for the sickness. When God's plan always was don't get sick in the first place. Because if you live right, I am not going to put the disease on you. And therefore, yes, believe and pray for healing, but how about don't get sick in the first place? And actually, you're going to be healthier people when you live it my way. Choose life. Choose life. 
Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of the way you think. How about think? What does God want me to do with my body? How about think? How does God want me to fuel my body? How about think? How much sleep does my body need? All of that is spiritual. We don't talk about it in church like that, but maybe we should. Because when your friends see you flourishing and full of life and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, they're going to go, wow, you, you, you inspire me. And you can say, it's because I live it God's way. You're declaring heaven on earth. It doesn't seem spiritual, but the impact could be huge. Are you eating too much? Do you need to challenge yourself? Have a look at this in Genesis 1, verse 29, and some people are really not going to like this too much, me being one of them. This is creation. This is the beginning of time. This was God's master plan. And God said, see, I have given you, Adam, and people, every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food. That was the end of it. God's original master plan was vegetarianism. And all the church went, boo, he got it wrong, he stuffed it up. That was the original. You can read it in your book, it's not just my book. God's original plan was that. Herbs, seed, things that bear seeds, pulses, stuff. Some people today would swear by that, live by that, and actually succeed very nicely on that. I'm not surprised because it was God's original plan. Before you come up here and beat me up, especially you men in the house who like a barbecue, let me show you another verse. Genesis 7 verse 2 says this. This is, this is Noah's account. You shall take with you seven of each clean animal, a male and his female. Did you know that? I didn't pick that up ever before. The animals went into, but to hurrah, hurrah. But the clean ones, there were seven pairs. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Seven of all the clean animals, his male and his female. So seven pairs of good animals, two of each animals that aren't clean. A male and a female. So they did go in two by two, but God divided them into clean animals and unclean animals. He said, take seven pairs of clean, two pairs of unclean. I learned something when I, when I looked at that. Now, it's important that we look at the unclean and clean in a moment. But here's the thing in Genesis 9, so all the men in the room can breathe a sigh of relief. Genesis 9 verse 3 says this. Noah comes out of the ark. God speaking to Noah. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. <sighs> when I was preparing this, I did have a panic up. God's original plan, vegetarianism. Has that ever shifted? Maybe that's still the best plan. You can decide that. But what he has said is, I will allow you to eat other things. But you need to remember, he divided them into clean and unclean, which we're going to look at in a minute. Here's something that I think is noteworthy. In the seven generations leading to Noah, it ends with a guy called Methuselah. Ever heard of him? Yeah. Oldest man who ever lived. I think it was 946, 900 and something anyway. He was an old geezer. <laughs> it led to him. The average age leading up to that was between four and 600 years old. They were, they were living long. No meat. They were living long. For the seven generations after you come out of Noah, the average age of a person seven generations later was 70. So before the meat, 600. After the meat, 70. Now, you don't have to be Einstein. Something's changed. But God said, it's okay. I know you enjoy your meat. I'm going to let you eat the meat. And actually, to Abraham, he said the number of your years will be 120, didn't he? How many people do you know who lived to 120? I don't know any. But yet, that is what God has ordained for us. Why aren't we reaching that? Is this what we're talking about? Here's something to do with that. Are we not living the lifestyle God called us to, so therefore we're not meeting the years he said we could have? We're dying early for all kinds of reasons. But I wonder if food is one of them. Let's have a look in Leviticus. Uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 8. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, uh, water, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hoofs and chewing the cud, that you may eat. There it is. That really is a picture of a cow. It's a picture of a lamb. It's a picture of a goat. Things with cloved hoofs that chew the cud. 
they're clean. Nevertheless, you should not eat among those that chew, that chew the cud uh, or those that have cloven hooves the camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hoofs. It's unclean to you. The rock hyrax, don't even know what that is, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hoofs. It's unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hoofs. It's unclean to you. And the swine, the swine, Though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the card, it is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. Here's the thing. So Noah was told, as a vegetarian, take in seven of all the clean animals, pears, two of all the unclean animals, pears. When he came out, he, God said to him, you can now eat the meat, but I only want you to eat the clean ones. The truth of the matter is, probably the most common meat in our diet is... Pig. We love a sausage. We love it. Who likes? But I think bacon actually turns vegetarians. They smell the bacon. They're like, oh, I could really eat a bit of that. But God has said in his blueprint for life, which will marry up to your 120 ordained years, don't touch it. Why? He knows best. Here's the thing. We know because of science today, and we're growing in knowledge all the time, don't we, that pigs become what they eat. We know that's to be true. 4,000 years ago, he writes this, before any of this scientific evidence, and all the scientific evidence he's proving is that God was right in the first place. You see, I believe science and the word and religion dovetail. They all actually marry up. And so science today, in terms of biology, is actually agreeing with what God said in the first place. It's actually shocking for you to eat that. Do you know why? Because they become what they eat. Pigs eat... The unthinkable. They eat their own turd. <laughs> Enjoy your barbecue, lads. <laughs> Feces on toast. It's just... <laughs> Do you know that they eat parasites that cannot be killed? Even at the two and 300 degrees you're going to cook at them, it doesn't kill them. What are you doing? Putting them in your gut. And then what's happening? All diseases are coming on us. And yet God said, if you do life my way, I won't let you have the diseases that are on the Egyptians, the world, because I am the one who heals you. Maybe he was saying, I'm not going to let you get sick in the first place. But us, oh, but the bacon, Lord, the bacon. Oh, but the bacon. Yeah, you can eat your bacon. I lay before you life and death. Choose life or the barbecue. We laugh, but you can see this is real. This is God's plan. And we need to be people who are going to choose what we're going to fuel ourselves with. I was chatting it through with some of the guys in church a little while ago, and there is an argument that if you know what the pig has been fed, if it's corn-fed pig, maybe, maybe that's okay, and maybe it is. I'm sure that you could put an argument for that. But I would say that most pig that you eat today, you know that, processed ham that you put in your sandwiches it's processed for a start it's probably more water and toot than ham but we eat it we are fueling our god-given holy spirit filled bodies with rubbish and then we're wondering why we're getting sick and we're wondering why we're tired and we're wondering why things aren't going to plan for us in our health and god said but i put it there thousands of years ago i put it there i knew what i was doing if you'd only do it my way, gluttony, don't eat more than you need. Average woman needs about 2,000 calories. Average man needs about 2,500 calories, depending on what job you're doing or how active you are, but roughly. And yet we're probably living on diets of three and 4,000 calories, most of which is pig. <laughs> I'm wondering why we're not well. I found a really interesting statistic. Did you know that there is not one case of autism in the Amish society. Not one. No Amish person has ever had autism. Do you know what they do differently to us? They grow their own food. Are we eating ourselves sick and then going, God, heal me? Bless this food, Lord, that we've just prepared. Bless the food. Or pig. And God says, I can't bless the food. I can bless you. But I told you what I think about the food at the beginning. I can't do what I said I wasn't going to do. So stop praying, bless the food. I've told you what it is. You can pray, bless me. Or 
You put cow out or vegetables and pulses and all that yummy stuff. <laughs> but it's good for you. Sarah and I are very much into our, into our training, and, and we recently went on. Have you heard of the caveman diet? It, basically, the caveman diet says if you can grow it or kill it, you can eat it, like cavemen would have done. And it's actually way healthy. Now, I appreciate pig could be included in that because you can kill a pig, but it's not processed. And so, therefore, you're going to be better off with it. And suddenly, we found where I've struggled quite slightly there, where I was struggling to put an extra few pounds on when I'm weight training, I was actually putting the pounds on quickly. Why? Because I was just eating better. And so much of your health surrounds what you eat, and yet in church we don't talk about it. And God has much to say about it. Let's not be gluttony. Let's not be like that. And let's consider, at least consider, what are you fueling your body with? We'll all know, <laughs> here's a classic. Uh, again, as I've done this research, there's a guy called Jordan Rubin. Make a note of him. If this stuff interests you, he is the Christian go-to guy on this topic, Jordan Rubin. Loads of stuff on YouTube, loads of stuff you can read about. He, he really goes into de detail on this kind of stuff, and I recommend him to you. He's brilliant. But he says this, Christian rule 101 for eating. Never eat anything that Jesus cast demons into. <laughs> I eat pig. Let's have a look at Daniel's story. Daniel 1, verses 12 through 17. You know the situation. They've been taken to Babylon. They've been selected as, as princes and huge potential in their life. And they're being taught uh, the Babylonian culture in the king's house. And they're excellent men, these guys. Please test your servant for 10 days, says Daniel. And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I love this. There they were, the king saying, I've got all this delicate stuff for you to eat, amazing things, just to help yourself, gorge yourself, this is how we live. And Daniel says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to honour my God. And he says, test me then. I'm only going to drink water and I'm only going to eat vegetables. And after 10 days, you have a look at how I'm looking in my health. And 10 days later, you saw what I read. They looked healthier, fuller in the face more glowing than all the people who've been eating the delicacies. And more than that, spiritually, they were wiser and more tuned in than the others. And all they did differently was honour God with their bodies in what he told them they could eat. So let's not pretend this isn't spiritual, because it is. And I want to encourage you today, at least consider, could you take a step in the right direction? Could you shift it? Maybe you want to say, today's the day I'm choosing life. Sarah and I have made a commitment that we're, we're going to not eat pig. Sarah's just crying on the front row. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think, enjoy a celebration. My favourite part of the Christmas meal is pigs in blankets. Best bit, isn't it? <laughs> How about celebrate once in a while? Have your pigs in blankets at Christmas, if that's what you want to do. But I believe your life will be determined by your average day, not by your exceptional day. You will have exceptional days where you are so ridiculously healthy that you're like off the planet. And you'll have other days where you're so ridiculously unhealthy that you're off the planet. But they're not the days that are going to affect you overall. It's the bulk of your days. It's the other 80, 90% of your life which is going to take you somewhere. And so let's not be religious, but let's be wise. And so enjoy a moment of celebration. Enjoy a drink. Enjoy whatever it is you like to enjoy, if that's what you enjoy. But it's your average day which is going to dictate to you. And I want to encourage you on your average day to honour God who put some stuff before us in terms of how much we eat, when we eat, what we eat, because it's for our good. I've asked a question here. Is your diet killing your life or promoting your life? And what messages are you being led by? You see, you'll turn on an advert and they're, they're so aimed at, we've got children, those of you who've got children, they're so aimed at children, they've got all these lovely bears coming out going, oh, 
eat this, eat this, and they're all, oh, I really want to eat that. And when you look at what it actually is, it's just, there's no nutrition in it whatsoever, and it's overpriced. And so we're paying more money for packaging and great advertising and actually no substance, and yet we do it day in and day out, and day in and day out, and we're feeding it to our children, who are then going to feed it to their children. And the trouble is, unless there's a generation, and it's going to have to be a Christian generation that stands up and says, we are making a stand and getting back to what God said, all the way through his word, his promoted life and health, we need to shift something. That's when we're going to see some differences. So in celebrating you, honor your body. It's your body. It's going to be your body all your life. In the end, you can walk away from this and say, oh, you know, enjoyed that, made me laugh a little bit, but I'm not going to pay any attention. That's cool. Because you get a choice. And God honours your choice and I honour your choice. But God says, choose life. And he encourages us. You were bought at a price. Your body's not your own. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So how about we honour God with our bodies in every area of our life? It's your average day that's going to show something. We're called disciples. And I think one of the areas when we're talking about food is actually discipline. It's harder more expensive and more time-consuming to eat well. But I wonder if God's saying, if you do it my way, I'll create the time for you. I'll give you the wealth you need to do that because you're honouring me. And those who honour me, I will honour. And so there's this whole area of honour and life coming out. Could we honour him with the amount of calories we're taking? Could we honour him with what we feed ourselves with? Could we honour him with the time we're giving in and preparing that? Could we honour him? Who sits around a table anymore and eats? We do every day. Sit with our children, say grace, chat. We're so busy, we're shoveling our face full of food that doesn't even make any difference and we're not even stopping for a breath. And then we're wondering why we're sick and stressed and hassled. And yet God says, you're epic. I died for you. When I look at you, you're the apple of my eye. When I created you at the beginning, I put so much in you. There's more to you and can I draw it out of you? And maybe God brought you today to hear this message just as a little prompt to say, come on. There's more to you than this. I want you to be healthy. I want you to run free. I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to be the best version of you. And it's not about size, because we're all different shapes and sizes. So often the, the bigger people in the room, when a message like this, think, oh, he's just talking to me. No, I'm not. We have this term that we call skinny fat. Ever heard of skinny fat? Really thin people, but they eat all the wrong foods, so you know that their heart's enlarged, their, their, their blood vessels enlarged, like the Egyptians. And so they might look good on the outside, but sometimes bigger people are far better on the inside because they're eating better. They're just a bigger frame, and that's cool too. So this isn't about size. This is about health, and we're all different, and I want to celebrate that with you. One of the things I want to suggest is that in January, that as a church, we go on a, on a, a health month. Yeah? I know Christmas is coming. I don't want to ruin your Christmas. <laughs> Even that's challenging, isn't it? I wonder how many of us are preparing to put half a stone on over Christmas. I don't know. I don't want to pee on your bonfire, so to speak. <laughs> but, you know, there's some reality, isn't there? It's your body. It's your body. Look after it. Maybe in January, you know, I could do a little bit of research, maybe just create some kind of plan that we could follow together, you know, just a rough guide or something, and we could do it together. And at the end of January, we could look at each other and say, how are you doing in your body? How are you doing spiritually? And just see whether in the same way God honoured Daniel, whether he would honour Kessler Church, if we honoured him with what we were doing in here. Is there an agreement there? Can I pray for you? Uh, Young, would you mind coming and playing some keys for me? Let me just invite you just to close your eyes and just take a moment. It gives privacy to the person next to you, but it focuses you too. Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you again for just gathering brilliant, brilliant people. Your treasure. It's just my honor to speak with them. I want to thank you that it is the truth that you crafted us in the womb. You gave us our frame. You gave us our giftings and our dreams. You gave us our personalities. You gave us the things we're going to like and dislike. You put it all in there and we're all different and we celebrate that. But Lord, I just pray by your spirit that you would just move amongst us right now and just give each and every one of us a prompt. How do you want me to respond to a message like that? 
where do I fit into all of that? What's happening in my life? What decisions am I making? Am I choosing life or am I choosing death? Holy Spirit, just move amongst us, I pray. I want to thank you, Lord God, that with Joshua, he said, as for me and my household, we will follow the Lord. And I want to declare that here. This household will follow you. We will set aside our own desires, wants and needs and say, God, you're first and we will do it your way. I just pray that you'd guide us in the steps towards that. That we would actually laugh and enjoy life more doing it your way. That we'd find ourselves healthier, financially better, less tired and more in tune spiritually by doing it your way challenges I pray Lord God I pray that every person here right now in their heart and mind they're saying yes I'm going to make a step in the right direction and that Lord God you would bless that just with every eye closed I always like to give opportunities is there anyone here today who doesn't feel like they're right with Jesus and it might be helpful for you today to say Lord I want you in the middle of my life whether you've never been in that position or whether you've slipped away from that position, I always like to give opportunity for you to say, Lord, be the center of my life. Lead me forward. Let me do it your way. Let me be close to you because I know you love me. Just wherever I close, if that's you and you just say, yeah, I, I, wanna, I, I need that prayer, would you just give me a wave? I'm going to pray with you. Bless you there. Bless you there. Bless you there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Got two or three people. One more chance. Anyone else who says, Lord, I want you in the middle of my life. I want to know that I'm right with you. Bless you, Jesus. Okay, we're going to pray a prayer then. And let's celebrate because heaven's rejoicing when people get right with Jesus. I'm going to pray a line and then you follow me. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me just the way I am. Today I choose to invite you to be the center of my life, to live in my heart. I turn away the things that I do wrong and I say lead me forward and all God's people said let's celebrate with heaven guys